Hello, friends. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut. I am Micah Woods, and I'm the chief scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center. I'm also the director of the Pace Turf Information Service. And in this episode of the ATC Double Cut, I'm going to talk about five recent blog posts, um, at least. Uh, I've had a lot of episodes recently that have had guests. And with these guests, we've sometimes talked about other topics that haven't been recent blog posts. So I have a few blog posts that I haven't discussed yet. And the original concept of this show was to talk about why some of the information on the website was worth reading and to give some of the background stories and some of the simple explanation about some of the information that I write about on the blog. So I want to do that real quick and and kind of catch up uh, with some of these posts that haven't been talked about yet. So let me navigate over to the ATC website, AsianTurfGrass.com, and we'll get started with one about MLSN and growth potential. I'll put a direct link to every single one of these blog posts that we discuss in the show notes. So if you have not read these yet, and if you'd like to, then you will easily be able to do that by checking out the video description or the show notes if you're listening to this as a podcast. This first one, MLSN is not GP and GP is not MLSN. That's a lot of letters. That's a lot of abbreviations or... um, yeah, like uh, letters that stand for something. So MLSN stands for Minimum Levels for Sustainable Nutrition, which is a method for making fertilizer recommendations based on soil tests. GP stands for Growth Potential, which takes the effect of temperature and then expresses the ability of a grass to grow at a certain temperature. If if these are completely new concepts to you, then I encourage you to click on the tabs at the top of this post. There's one that's called Growth Potential that has various posts explaining how the growth potential works. And there's one tab, MLSN, and that explains how MLSN works. So if you go there, you'll find all kinds of background information about this. And the idea here with this post is I want to point out that these are completely different things. And yet I find that sometimes people who use MLSN or people who are trying to use MLSN get a little bit confused and think that there's a nitrogen rate that is their like their MLSN nitrogen rate. And I've heard that a few times where people tell me my MLSN nitrogen is this amount. And then at first I I had no idea what they were talking about. And then I realized as I asked some questions, I realized that what people are doing is using the Pace Turf climate appraisal form in which you... You, and you can download that from the PaceTurf website. There's a direct link to that in this post. And that's a really useful spreadsheet that you can download. And you can put in a number of site-specific things. You can put in for your site 
what the temperatures are. And then this spreadsheet, the climate appraisal form, will calculate the growth potential for you, for your site, whether you have cool season grass or warm season grass. So that's one thing that it does. And then you can also say what you want the maximum nitrogen rate to be. And so you put that in, that's another variable that you can change in that spreadsheet. And then from that, it will calculate what your maximum nitrogen should be given the temperatures that you have at your site. Now, now that's, that's not an MLSN nitrogen amount. That is a nitrogen amount that's predicted based on growth potential. And I like to be very clear about that because MLSN, which is on another page of that spreadsheet, you can another thing you do on that spreadsheet is you can put in your soil test results for your site and then given the temperatures that you have at your site and given the amount of nitrogen that you expect to apply at your site, the spreadsheet will calculate how much of each nutrient you would need to apply in order to keep those nutrients in the soil above the MLSN guideline. So, you, so that spreadsheet, the climate appraisal form, it integrates a lot of things. It integrates the MLSN concept, it integrates growth potential, and it integrates a maximum nitrogen rate. But the nitrogen rate there is not an MLSN nitrogen rate. That's just a nitrogen rate that you come up with based on how you want to grow the grass. And where MLSN comes in is MLSN makes sure that no matter what nitrogen rate you use, the grass can never run out of any of the nutrients. The, the soil will always have more than the MLSN minimum for any element if you work through these calculations. So no matter no matter if you're applying a, let, let's say you're gonna apply like uh, 20 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year, which would be about a thousand kilograms of nitrogen per hectare. So it's a relatively high nitrogen rate, but it's not completely unheard of for certain types of turf grass surfaces to fertilize them heavily with nitrogen. If you apply that much nitrogen, you can expect the grass to grow a lot. You can expect to harvest a lot of clippings. You can expect those clippings that you've harvested to have a lot of potassium in them and to have a lot of phosphorus in them and to have a lot of calcium in them and, and so on. So as you harvest those clippings, that removes nutrients from the soil and MLSN makes sure that no matter, no matter if you're applying a thousand kilograms of nitrogen per hectare or 20 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet, or whether you're applying 10 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare or 0.2 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet, whatever rate you're applying, the MLSN will adjust to that. So you don't actually have an MLSN nitrogen rate. The nitrogen rate that you choose is up to you. So that's that's the background on that post. And then this post just explains it. So it says the MLSM part, 
I quote from the post, it says, the MLSN guidelines are designed to prevent nutrient deficiencies by ensuring the grass is supplied with all the nutrients it can use, no matter the growth rate. And, and I use an example, and I show a really pretty picture of a golf course. Uh, it's, in, it's near Soto Grande in Spain, and there's the Rock of Gibraltar in the background. I... Uh, I disremember the exact name of this facility right now, but it is a stunning golf course right by the Mediterranean Sea. So I say whether we're in Soto Grande, which is kind of an intermediate climate, or whether we are in the, we're at the South Pole where grass wouldn't grow, or whether we're in Bangkok where the grass would grow a lot, the MLSN and the GP are going to work together to give you some way to estimate how many nutrients would be required. So if, if you have any confusion about that, I recommend reviewing it just to make sure that you know exactly what MLSN is and how it's not GP and how nitrogen is not related to GP. I'm going to completely change the subject now and go on to the next post, which is updated OM246 sampling instructions. And it is now, this document is now up to version, I think, 0.3. And I wanted to emphasize two things in this. And I had talked with Adam Miller, uh, formerly with the USGA, now with his own consultancy. And he is also doing work at Brookside Labs with the Amplify Network and offering OM246 testing to his clients. And I had a phone call with him and I said, uh, or, and I think he'd seen the, the, uh, sampling instructions and, and I've had a couple other people contact me about it too, because the version 0.2 of these sampling instructions was dated, oh, about two years ago. And so there were, there were some questions. Is the pricing still accurate? Is this still the way you recommend doing it? And there's, there's two things that I wanted to add. So when I talked with Adam, I said, I'm going to update this and I'm going to add two things. And I said, the pricing is still valid, which is $33 per sample. That's, that's what I charge. And I recommend doing 12 samples per 18 holes. So that comes to 396 US dollars per 18 holes once a year, which I think in most golf course budgets, that's a reasonable amount for the incredible value that you get from this total organic material testing. But I said, I'm still charging that price, but the two things that I'm going to update are these. I said, I want to recommend that that we do some additional testing, and that is a post-burn particle size analysis at each depth. So we will take all of those samples at the zero to two centimeter depth. And after the organic material is burned off, we can check what the particle size is and find out the amount of coarse sand, medium sand, fine sand, very fine sand, and so on. And that that's useful because we can do that at the zero to two centimeter depth at the two to four centimeter depth, also at the four to six centimeter depth. Now, presumably, most golf courses are going to know what their sand top dressing particle size distribution is. And most 
golf courses are going to know what their original root zone particle size distribution is. So now you've got two things that you can compare your surface to. You can compare the particle size distribution of the surface to the top dressing sand, and you can also compare it to the original root zone material, which can be useful. And then you can also check over time if you're seeing coarse and medium sand go up and down, or if you're seeing uh, fine sand go up or down, you can very precisely look at what's changing over time in the root zone and exactly where it is changing. That doesn't cost very much money, and I recommend doing an additional $150 worth of testing. So I added that to these sampling instructions, and this document, uh, I think that, uh, let's see, I believe that's showing on the screen for those of you watching this. Um, so this says, this is version 0.3 of the instructions generated on December 14th, 2023. And the, the section I added, I said, I recommend doing a particle size analysis on all the zero to two centimeter samples combined after the organic material is burned off and on the two to four centimeter samples combined and on the four to six centimeters. These optional particle size analyses are US dollar 50 each. So 50 US dollars each or 150 US dollars to check all three depths. So that's one thing that I updated in the, these OM246 sampling instructions. And the other thing that I wanted to emphasize, because some people have asked me, what tools should I buy to do this? How should I collect the samples? And I'm like, you don't need anything special to collect the samples. You don't need to buy anything to collect the samples. And I wanted to make sure that I was not too didactic in how I was telling people they need to collect the samples. So I reread that section uh, about the sampling tools. And I, so I reread it. I don't, and I actually didn't have to change it. Uh, the, the, under the sampling tools heading and the first bullet point says, a, it, it says, here's what you need. A soil sampler or profiler. You can use whatever tool you like. Examples in figures one and two show my favorite types of samplers. So I, I, I just wanted to make sure that I was not saying you have to use a certain type of tool. So I, I explained there the type of tool that I prefer to use, the type of sampler that I like to use, but really I want to leave it up to the person collecting the samples to collect the samples with the tool that they like to use. So um, I just wanted to make sure that I was not too, uh, too strict about, about that. So that is the updated OM246 sampling instructions. If you're going to be doing some OM246 sampling, please review that document. And let's see, what else did I show? I, I showed the type of chart that you can see uh, that shows the the sand fractions or the particle sizes that you can see after um, after burning the 
organic material off. So in this chart, for example, uh, the one in the top center, there's a there's a chart that is the very coarse sand category. So this is sand that has one to two millimeter diameter. And, and so that's the diameter of the particle size. And the top dress material at this facility is at about 6% by weight. That's how much, that's what percentage of the top dressing sand is very coarse sand. And in the root zone, the, the four to six centimeter depth is slightly higher than that, right? Uh, you know, just above the, the top dressing sand material, something like 7% uh, very coarse sand. But that, that declines at the two to four centimeter depth to about two and a half percent. And it's also about two and a half percent at the zero to two centimeter depth. So the top dressing sand has more very coarse sand in it than you find at the zero to two centimeter depth or at the two to four centimeter depth. Is it useful to know that? Well, uh, I think it is because if you, if you wanted your root zone to exactly match your top dressing, then you would probably find some way to increase the very coarse sand in the very top of the profile. So this, this display of the chart is showing how, it, how the particle sizes by depth change compared to the top dressing material. You can also show this, and in ATC reports, I do show this uh, for, for clients who've measured this over time. We show how it's changing over time. So let's say you did decide that you wanted to increase your very coarse sand in the top of the profile. If you did want to increase that, then we could look over time and check at which depths it is increasing and at which depths it is decreasing. So I think that that is... I think that is uh, quite useful. It's something that I started doing based on the suggestion of Brian Mavis, who is also another Amplify Network consultant. And um, I, I think that you will find this very, very interesting to check these particle sizes. So that's something that I like to add on to OM246 testing. Again, that costs an additional 150 US dollars to do all three depths. And let's see, I just want to read one more part. Uh, I have another bullet point in this blog post. I wanted to emphasize that any tool is suitable for collecting samples. I reread the instructions and found them clear enough about that already. The tools required include a, quote, soil sampler or profiler. You can use whatever tool you like. Examples in figures one and two show my favorite types of samplers, end quote. So that is the second post that I wanted to talk about, the updated OM246 sampling instructions. So that, that was one that I updated after a couple years, and I was glad to be able to update it. And the next, the next post that I want to talk about is... The title, Seminars and Conferences, Past, Present, and Future. This one is, uh, is one that some people will just kind of skip through 
or, or skip over because maybe they think, oh, this is just a conference in Thailand or this is, this is not uh, relevant to me. I will never go there. And it, that, that may be the case, but I listed a few seminars that I'll be speaking at around the world. So I just wanted to mention a couple things about that. There is, let's see, this, this post includes a link to my new seminar handouts page. In 2023, uh, I started making online handouts again. I'd done this seven, eight, nine years ago, and for some reason I stopped doing it. But I used to make a little web page, just a single page, not a website that has multiple pages, but just a single web page that had the slides available for viewing or download and some additional links about the topics that I had discussed. I used to make that for most of my presentations and I stopped doing that. And then I thought in 2023, it would be nice to go ahead and do that again. And Chris Tritabaugh had had suggested doing something like that. Then he started doing it. And I thought, you know, that's a good idea. I, I will try doing that again. So I have done that. There's a new page on the ATC website and it links to all of the slides and additional information that I have uh, put up there for the seminars that I delivered publicly this year. And I intend to continue doing that. And it turns out that there's something that I think is pretty useful with this. And what that is, is my ability to answer some of the questions that are raised during the seminar. So when I give a seminar, people often have very interesting questions. And sometimes I want to elaborate on the answer or I say, I, I can give this answer and I will make a chart to show the answer or something like that. So I have answered some questions also that were raised during the seminars in these uh, in the seminar handouts page. So some of the, some of you may find that interesting, especially if you happen to have attended any of those seminars. And then uh, I put a a link to some of the upcoming events that I'm going to be speaking at. One of these is uh, at the South China Turf Managers Association meeting at Clearwater Bay in Hong Kong. If you're in the region, if you're in uh, any, you know, it's only a couple hour flight from Manila. It is a short flight from most places in Vietnam, from Thailand. Uh, and of course, if you're in South China or in Hong Kong or in Macau, uh, I hope you will be able to get over to Hong Kong and join me for that seminar with the South South China Turf Managers Association. So that's going to be at Clearwater Bay on January 19th. Then I'm going to be at the Canadian Golf Course Management Conference in Montreal at the very end of February. I'm speaking on February 27 and 28. And then I'm coming right back to Thailand to participate in the Sustainable Turfgrass Management in Asia Conference, which is organized by the Thailand Golf Course Superintendents Association. And I'm quite proud of the website which I put together. And I'm so grateful to the people in Thailand, Vietnam, and Japan who helped provide translation for this website. So this is the first website I've done that has translation, not translation that when you just click on Google or on Bing or whatever uh, browser you're using, 
and uh, and just get an automatic translation. But this is actually hard-coded translation. And if you go up to the top right globe on the website, which you'll see in your mobile browser if you're looking at this on a phone, or you'll also see it uh, as a globe if you're um, looking at this on the desktop, you can change to Thai, you can change to Japanese, you can change to Vietnamese, which I think is pretty cool. So uh, that is a little update about those upcoming conferences. And by the way, the program for the Thai conference is really good. Um, I'm going to be talking at this conference for the first time in five or six years. Uh, Devin Carroll is a expert weed scientist who's going to be talking about resisting resistance, which is a huge issue in uh, weed control or in effective herbicide use. And she's also going to be talking about developing um, effective herbicide management plans for tropical turf grasses where the grass is growing year round. And then Michael Becken is based in Norway now, but he's American. He's also worked in Scotland. He has a global outlook on turf grass management, and he is an expert about carbon cycling, about energy use on golf courses, about water use on golf courses. So we're going to be talking about some of the real sustainability issues related to resource use uh, and, and about carbon and about water and that sort of thing related to turf grass management. I'm going to talk about interesting topics, I assure you. And Mr. Bruce Williams, the former, uh, former golf course superintendent for a long and storied career and the former president of the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. He's going to be giving a topic, a presentation on a topic that a lot of people find very interesting. And he has so much expertise about this after his long and very successful career. And that is about what traits are required. What are the traits of a successful golf course superintendent? And this is a presentation that he's making by request from the Thai GCSA uh, because people find that topic so interesting. So we're, we are really looking forward to having Bruce at the conference. And there has been a huge response from people uh, from, from many continents. This is always a, a very international conference because Thailand is such a great place for a conference. And there's people from all around the region, from Australia, from the Middle East, from Europe, from America, from Canada, that often will attend the conference. So it really has a great energy and a great, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a great networking opportunity, in addition to being fun and quite educational. So we are really looking forward to that. And on to the next post, we'll keep moving along. Can soil samples dry too much? This was a question that I received by email and I wanted to share a picture to show that maybe it's not a big issue. So uh, I recommend drying soil samples before sending them to the lab for testing. I have various podcasts and blog posts all uh, about this, but uh, I listed here the, the main reasons why. Number one, drying the soil stops microbial activity. Number two, drying the soil stops chemical activity. Number three, drying the soil reduces shipping weight. So I, again, I have multiple blog posts about this, uh, about 
the reasons why. And the question that came by email was this. I was recently asked if an extra week of drying would cause any issues for some OM246 tests. Nope. Once dry, those samples are dry. I don't expect an extra week, month, year, or decade would cause much difference in the results. And I wrote here that I was reminded of the samples in the Rothamsted archive, and I showed a photo of dried soil samples from the park grass experiment at Rothamsted. They're in glass jars, and these were samples that were taken from the one to nine inch depth. And these are these were taken in February and March of 1876. So we are about a hundred and yeah, wow, 157 years ago, something like that. 20, 147, maybe. Yeah, 147 years ago, uh, these soil samples were collected and they have been stored in grass jars after they were dried. So, of course, drying a soil does change some characteristics. But the thing is, the thing that that I want people to understand is they're going to be dried at the lab for for the types of testing that I'm recommending, okay? So so the routine nutrient analysis of soil um, and for the total organic material testing, the samples are going to be dried at the laboratory before the testing procedure is conducted. Because the soil samples are going to be dried at the laboratory, I think it makes sense that we might as well dry it immediately as soon as the sample is removed from the soil. The reason being, we can immediately stop the biological activity, we can immediately stop the chemical activity, and we can immediately reduce the sample weight. So if we're sending a lot of samples or if we're sending the samples a long distance, it is meaningful in the amount of money that we pay for shipping if we can reduce that shipping cost. So that makes sense to me. Rather than sending wet samples to the lab in which the biological activity continues, the chemical activity continues, and we've paid a higher shipping cost. And so there can be some change in the biological and chemical properties of the soil when it remains wet as it's moved to the laboratory, and then it's going to get dried anyway. So I want to dry it immediately if possible. And once it's dry, it's dry. So if you keep it dry for an extra week, like it doesn't matter. And sometimes people have something come up and they can't get the sample shipped right away. And so as long as they're dry, that's, that's perfect. It, it's not going to mess up the samples at all. So can soil samples dry too much? And my answer to that is no, uh, practically no. And then we come to the fifth post. And I think this is the last one on my list that I haven't discussed yet. And that is quantitative versus qualitative. A little goes a long way. This is one of those philosophical ones. This is one that I think is particularly well suited for me to discuss here on the ATC Double Cut. And I put a subtitle to this 
paying attention to a few simple quantities and using them for decision-making can lead to incremental and eventually quite substantial improvements in quality and in efficiency. And I wrote in this blog post, I said, this is one of those blog posts that I finally can move from the list of notes about what I might write about to the published and completed section. And I originally made a note about this all the way back on Saturday, August 29th, 2020. And I, my note was, on my run this morning, I was thinking that a little bit of quantitative, like OM246, knowing nutrient supply, clip fall, it goes a long way in leading to improved turf conditions. So that, that was the little note that I jotted down. I'd thought about it as I often do. I get ideas when I'm walking or running. And this was an idea that basically it's that the quantitative measurements, the type of data that I recommend collecting, which is not, it's, it's not a huge amount of data. It's not hugely time consuming. It's less data than some other people might recommend collecting, but it's things like clipping volume, annual soil testing, annual OM246 testing, keeping track of how much nitrogen has been applied, keeping track of how much sand has been applied. These types of data, it turns out that they can lead to real improvements in quality much more than I ever would have expected. And just doing a little bit of extra work related to collecting these data can produce, it, it, it can lead to some really appreciable, significant, noticeable improvements in turf grass quality. So I went through and showed, for example, the growth ratio at Hazeltine National Golf Club, where Chris, Chris Tritabal, the golf course superintendent there, has been paying more and more attention to how much the grass is growing. Back in 2016, when I was there for the Ryder Cup, he was not measuring clipping volume, and the surfaces were superb, but he didn't know what the clipping volume was. I believe in 2017, he started measuring the clipping volume, but when you first start measuring, you don't really know how to take action on it so much. But then eventually, in 2019 and 2020, he started taking more action on it. And then we started looking at the growth ratio and looking at various things in real time. And I made a chart that shows 2021, 2022, and 2023 season-long growth ratio. And it's interesting to me that in 2023, the peaks in growth ratio were never as high as they were in 2021. Actually, in 2021, the peaks in growth ratio were the highest, the, and, and also the dips were the lowest. So you, you had like much more variation in how much the grass was growing in response to weather. Again, the growth ratio, uh, which I have some blog posts about the growth ratio, the growth ratio is how much the grass is growing compared to how much you would expect it to be growing given the recent temperatures at the site. So in 2021, there was a lot of fluctuation in that. 
In 2022, there was less fluctuation. In 2023, there was even less fluctuation. And I think that there is something to that, that probably if you have less fluctuation in how much the grass is growing, you may be able to produce more consistent surfaces and that is the type of thing that is quantitative, all these numbers on a chart. And you might think like, does this relate to quality? And I think that it does. And I wrote this post, which is a four minute read. So I would encourage you to have a, have a read of that if you're looking for something a little bit about data, because I think that the growth ratio, growing the grass at a consistent rate, paying attention to these types of simple data, these simple types of quantitative data can lead to real improvements in quality. So that is the last post that I wanted to talk about in this episode of the ATC Double Cut. I have been traveling a lot. I was traveling around the world uh, and and uh, went to Europe. I went to Japan. I, I was on a trip uh, that seemed like it didn't really stop for a long time. And I finally got back to Thailand and I'm catching up with a few things. I now have a lot of reports to work on. I've been sending some invoices, working on reports. Uh, and I have a bit more of that to work on. So I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the chance to be at home for a little while and have a chance to do a little bit more work on my computer that I just uh, wasn't able to get to as I was traveling and learning so much. But you, uh, you might envy me a little bit. I, I certainly don't feel sorry for myself uh, at having the chance to travel to so many interesting places, meet so many interesting people. You know, I, I always start this show or I often start the show by saying, hello friends. And it's, it's true because I know that so many of the people that listen to this are my friends or they are people that I, uh, that I really know. And, and we, we've, we've become friends and they're all over the world. So not only do I get to meet interesting people, friendly people, but I get to learn about turf grass and how grass is grown and how grass responds to different weather and to different management practices around the world. And then I get to learn so much and then I get to share it. So I, I really enjoy doing that. I don't feel sorry for myself that I get the chance to do that. In fact, I feel very lucky that I get the chance to do that. And now that I'm at home and getting a chance to catch up on some of my work and reflect on some of the things that I got to do this year, uh, it, it reminds me of how lucky I am. So anyway, thanks everyone for listening, for watching. I will sign off now and I will be back again before too long. I've got a couple of blog posts that I've already written that I haven't talked about, but they deserve their own episodes. So I will record those later in a separate episode. Um, so I'll sign off now for ATC from Trung. I am Michael Woods. Bye-bye.